Okay, so if you have got a Bible with you, would you like to turn to the book of Philippians? If you don't have a Bible with you, do not worry. Uh, the scripture references will come up on the screen so you can follow it there. Uh, it is the first Sunday of the new year, but we're not starting a new series. Um, for those who were here last Sunday, you might recall that on the very last Sunday of the year, we took the opportunity to, to look back um, at some things that God had been uh, saying through the course of 2015. And in a fashion, um, we're going to look forward, but with the help of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 to 11. So I'll read that. Um, you can follow it with me, and then we'll uh, just spend a bit of time looking at that together. Philippians chapter 1 says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So last week, in terms of looking back, we visited a few different passages in the Bible, a few different places. We looked at uh, a proverb, which says, above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Um, we looked at how uh, a key way in which we do that is, uh, is informed by Colossians 3, verse 16, about uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with, with gratitude in your hearts. Uh, so we looked at that, and we looked at the church in Antioch, um, who were doing this, and just in the same way that there's an overflow from the heart, from each person, where we're, we're guarding our hearts and we're storing up God's word, there's an overflow um, that's fruitful and is worshipful. Actually, that ha- happens in the local church as well. Uh, and Antioch kind of provides us a glimpse of that. Um, a church that's impacting its area and, its, uh, and the world, really, with a, um, a global perspective of wanting to, to bless um, and share with others. So we were looking back. Uh, and this week we're going to look forward, but in a sense only kind of. We're going to look forward because actually we, we don't know the future. So we might look forward to 2016. There might be certain uh, landmarks or certain events, certain occasions that we're really looking forward to. There might be new things that we're anticipating. There might be kind of a few things that we're worried or apprehensive about, but we're heading into this uh, new year. We might kind of poo-poo those who um, pay attention to horoscopes or uh, tarot cards, or they want some way of of discerning what the future holds, Uh, which is interesting because reading the book of Philippians, this church here in Philippi, um, it began in quite a remarkable way, and we we find out in Acts chapter 16, when Paul visited, this girl with a spirit 
um, who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future, kept following them and hounding them um, until kind of Paul, with, uh, in the name of Jesus, uh, set her free. So we're told there that she, she made a lot of money for her owners. In other words, in Philippi, there's a lot of people wanting to know the future uh, and willing to pay uh, good money to, to be able to glimpse what's coming. And maybe in, in, in some ways, not necessarily the same way, we can all identify with a, with a desire just to be able to glimpse for a moment into a bit of a crystal ball. We'll be able to prepare better if we know what the future holds. Um, uh, and therefore, if, if we're more aware of what the future holds, we can manage things better. Um, and therefore, we'll have a happier, more joyful life. Things will go well with us because uh, things won't, nothing will catch us off guard. So yeah, of course we're not interested in horoscopes and uh, fortune telling, but that desire to know the future um, can get us. And if we don't know it, then then worry um, can can grip us instead. Now, the letter to the Philippians is remarkable in a number uh, of ways. It's remarkable because it's ma- one of its major themes is joy. So in this short book, there are at least some 16 references to joy or rejoicing or gladness all the way through. Um, we came across the, uh, the first one in chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. A little bit further on in verse 18, Paul tells us, because of this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Um, in verse 25, uh, I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Um, this is what's bubbling up with Paul. He's a, he's a joyful man, um, and he's encouraging this church in joy. Um, I'm sure there are some others as well. Well, he, he's instructing them as well. So in chapter 2, verse 29, uh, speaking of Epaphroditus, it says, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. And of course, later on in chapter 4 and verse 4, the uh, familiar exhortation to the church, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Um, but he's not just telling them to do something that he's not doing himself. This is where he's at. This is Paul's address, which is, again, it's fact. Remarkable, um, because of Paul's circumstance at the point of writing this letter. Paul's writing from prison. And he doesn't say a huge amount about it. In fact, he's quite discreet, but every now and again he'll refer to my chains. Um, but he's wanting to encourage their joy. So there's something different about how Paul lives. From just, well, if I know what the future holds, then I feel secure, uh, and then I can have joy. Um, because everything lo- is looking rosy, when I when I when I don't know what the future holds, when I'm a bit unnerved about the future, well then it's easy to get drawn into worry. Now maybe that's where the Philippian church were at. They were deeply concerned about Paul, for example. Uh, later on, he's going to write to them about, you know, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about me. Perhaps he's even saying within that. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And just a little bit later on, uh, in chapter 4 as well, I think Paul, 
Paul writes one of the most remarkable things um, in the letter when he says in chapter 4, verse 12, um, well, reading from verse 11, partway through verse 11, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret, he says, of being content in any and every situation. That is, ponder that for a moment. Is that not utterly remarkable? I've learned the secret of being content in each and every situation. Now we think, well, we can say, well, yes, of course. In Philippians, this, this main theme is, is joy. Well, actually, that's true. But it's true because of something much more important. It's true because of Jesus. So, okay, the, the word joy or rejoicing crops up a whole number of times. But far more than that, um, the words Jesus Christ. Um, so, Paul had learned the secret of being content, whatever happened. He'd learned the secret of genuine joy. He's not faking it. He's not pretending. He's not putting it on. He's not just putting on a bit of a show, writing a, to try and, and, and G up uh, the Philippian church. From a genuine place of joy, he's able to encourage them when he doesn't know what the future holds. Now, there are, we're going to look briefly from this first passage of uh, three truths, if you like, three firm anchor points, which means he has this joy, he's learnt this secret, things that aren't going to change. Rachel prayed out right at the beginning of the time of, of worship. Truth that doesn't change. That's, that's the reason for joy. Uh, truth that just doesn't change. And this is what Paul lives in, and this is what Paul is encouraging in the Philippian church, and I hope that we can take some encouragement from it as well. So, um, without too much to do, Paul is joyful because he is Firstly, secure in the grace of God. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, He writes just a little bit further on in the passage, in in verse 7, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, you all share in God's grace with me. So he's, he's seeing something that doesn't change. The grace of God. My circumstances, he's saying, may change. And I hope they do. Because at the moment I'm in chains. I'd much rather be a free agent and able to be defending and confirming the gospel and, and, and preaching to vast crowds. Whilst he was out under house arrest at this point in Rome, he was chained uh, to a Roman guard uh, and he had to stay put. Now, individuals may have been able to, to come to him and ask him questions and him, he'd be able to share, but he's imprisoned in a house, he's guarded, and he's, in, he's not free just to go about what he'd like to do. Um, so, yes, of course, he'd like that to change, but he's saying, actually, his joy comes from something that doesn't change, from knowing the grace of God. Um, he's seen that grace at work in others' lives. He's seen it in, in the Philippians. He's saying, look, you share this with me. Uh, he could cast his mind back and we could look at um, Acts chapter 16 briefly and see what happened when, uh, when Paul and Silas and the others uh, first visited 
Philippi. And uh, on the Sabbath, they went outside the city gate to the river. We find this out in Acts chapter 16, verse uh, 13. We expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who'd gathered there. It's probably because in Philippi, there wasn't enough of a Jewish community. There weren't enough Jewish people there for a synagogue to be established. So there's no reference to a synagogue. That wasn't the first place that Paul visited um, in Philippi. That might partly be the reason why in the book of Philippians, he doesn't directly quote from the Old Testament um, because it's largely a Gentile uh, population. But Lydia, perhaps she was Jewish and she's there. She's uh, going to the place of prayer and um, Paul speaks. He shares the message of Jesus and he meets this woman, Lydia, amongst others. She's a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira who was a worshipper of God. And it says there in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So Paul's in the good of the grace of God himself. He, he'd seen it bearing fruit in others' lives as well. He'd seen it happen uh, for Lydia um, and she received Uh, The message of grace, no longer having to earn or attempt to earn uh, God's favor. She realized, actually, the way is open for me to know God um, apart from my works, apart from my efforts. um, I can know him. I can be forgiven uh, from all my sin. That condemnation that just lingers over is gone and dealt with. She's received the grace of God. So Paul writes, well, yes, grace and peace to you, not because they don't have it already, almost a reminder. This is what God has done. So he writes, uh, being confident of this, that he who began a good work, he's seen the grace of God at work in their lives. And there's evidence of it. There's evidence of this grace that's got a hold of them by the very virtue of the fact that Paul has received a generous gift from this church. And um, uh, Grant, a couple of weeks back in the 1130 congregation, preached from a different passage in, in Philippians. just mentioned, really, it's, a, it's an extended thank you note um, to a church that's generously, uh, generously given to him. Uh, Paul rounds off the letter by saying, look, I'm not, I'm not asking for it. He says in verse 17 of chapter 4, not that I'm looking for a gift. Um, He wasn't advertising the fact. He wasn't telling the church, you have to give. Um, The church had sought out an opportunity. They'd realized, we can give. We can support him. We don't have to, but we want to. And that's what happens when people are secure in the grace of God. They're not thinking in terms of, oh, what I ought to do. Someone's mentioned this or that. Okay, here we go again. Right, how much have I got? Right, okay, well, if I must. That wasn't the church's response in Philippi. And Paul has boasted about their example to another church, um, to the, to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he speaks of their example. And again, in, in, in terms that are utterly amazing. He speaks of the Macedonian churches. Philippi is in Macedonia. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy. Interesting. And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Well, that's, that's impossible. That's ridiculous. Um, but in God, that's what happened. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. And even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, verse 4, note. 
they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Paul saying, look, we weren't even going to bother the Philippian, we weren't even going to bother the Macedonian churches, we weren't going to bother Philippi with this need back in Jerusalem. Because we know their situation, we know their circumstance, but their joy and their massive poverty welled up and they were very generous. Well, that's, that's grace. And that's what Paul comments on later on in verse 7. Um, he comments on the, the grace of giving. Well, that's what he's seen in the Philippian church. They weren't giving because they had to. They were giving out of a, out of a desire. They were secure in God's grace. That's where it was all rooted. You see, in, uh, it also mentions in chapter 8 of, of 2 Corinthians um, and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And the Philippian church had received that. They'd been nourished by it. They're thrilled by the grace of God, knowing then that that's actually made them rich, and not necessarily uh, materially rich, but because of what they've received from Jesus, this generosity just flows out from them. Paul can see that. Um, he's, he's on the receiving end of it. He's benefited from it, and he's blown away, and he's thrilled. And he says, look, this is, you know, you're, we're sharing together in God's grace. I'm sure that Paul was, was delighted and blessed by being on the receiving end of their giving. But he's, I think he's more th- thrilled to see here's a church that gets grace. Here's a church that's received this good news and is standing in it. And that was part and parcel of how Paul himself, he'd learned to be content in each and every circumstance because he'd received God's grace. He knew this isn't going to change. The rug is not going to get pulled from beneath my feet. And some of us can be very good at uh, looking at Jesus through gloomy circumstance. So everything just seems gloomy. Do you remember earlier in the year, I brought my gloomy glasses along. Um, everything gets coloured with the gloomy glasses. I think, well, I, I kind of tend to see Jesus through my circumstance. And so if circumstance isn't great, maybe Jesus is even obscured to me. Or everything is just discoloured because of what's going on in life. And obviously life changes. Obviously there are people who might... Uh, let us down, or circumstance that doesn't work out great, or things that are just worrying us on the back of our mind all the time, or at the forefront of our mind. And that just colours how we see Jesus. For Paul, it was the other way around. He saw his circumstance through the grace of God and through Jesus. Everything was coloured by his grace. Everything was coloured by who Jesus is and what he's done. So secure in the grace of God, confident in the power of God, it's the second thing, which just grounded Paul. Again, he's, he's confident of this. He who began a good work in you. He's seen a good work begin in Philippi and with some power. Um, so, as I mentioned earlier, they were around and about in Philippi, wanting to share with people the message of good news, of God's grace. And this slave girl keeps hounding them until... Um, uh, after a few days, Paul turns around and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you uh, to come out of her. Because he notices this is something spiritual. This girl is, is doubly in bondage. There's a spirit that's influencing her. 
Um, and she's owned by those who are just trying to make money out of her. Um, so she's, she's doubly troubled. Um, and Paul sets her free from that. Causes a great uproar in the city because people aren't happy at their source of income um, being taken away from them. So they're, Paul and Silas are dragged before the magistrates. They're stripped and beaten. They're severely flogged and were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded uh, to guard them carefully. It's remarkable to see that in that situation, having been severely beaten without a trial having yet taken place, no hearing has taken place, they've not had the opportunity to defend themselves. Um, when Paul and Silas are put into prison, nursing all their wounds, we, just, we, we find out that in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, about midnight they were praying and singing hymns to God. They were rejoicing. Other prisoners were listening to them. An earthquake takes place. Dramatic demonstration of power. Surely this is God's means of busting them out of prison. Well, yes, perhaps, but they stay put. The jailer is in absolute despair. He knows a fate perhaps worse than theirs awaits him if he doesn't keep hold of all these prisoners. And so he's about to end his own life. Paul and Silas say, no, stop. Don't do that. We're still here. Now, maybe the jailer has been hearing what they've been singing, and so he comes and he rushes and he gets before them and says, what must I do to be saved? Utterly remarkable power encounter. A young girl being freed, an earthquake taking place, and all their chains being broken, and the Philippian jailer coming before them and believing in the Lord Jesus because of what he uh, experiences and what he hears and the truth that he receives. It's a powerful, a powerful time. So Paul is writing to the Philippians and saying, look, I know that God's begun, began a good work in you. I've seen it. I witnessed it with my own eyes. They probably weren't in Philippi for very long because of this great uproar. They were then released from, uh, from prison. They encouraged the believers and they left a few days later. They didn't hang around very long, but they, they know something powerful happened there. And people were turning to him. Look, we were even trying to go to other places, but the Holy Spirit prevented us going to, uh, to Bithynia and Asia. And then we had this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come to us. Okay, so they went, and then they encounter Lydia, and they encounter um, this girl, they encounter the Philippian jailer. They see whole households coming into God's kingdom. Wow, amongst all this opposition and all this aggro, the grace and the power of God uh, were at work. And thirdly, what keeps uh, Paul grounded in joy is not just knowing the grace of God and being confident in the power of God, but thirdly is knowing the affection of Christ. He says, God can testify in verse 8, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The word there is is referencing the bowels, which sounds completely bizarre to us, but the bowels of Christ. That was thought to be the the gut, really. The the, the place um, where in, in Jewish thinking, that's where the emotions, that's where compassion, that's where pity, that's where affection was based. But I've got the bowels of Christ. I'm, I'm yearning with all his desire for you. That, that passion of Jesus uh, that we see more of as the, as the letter unfolds is at work 
in him. Paul cares so deeply about this church because Jesus cares so deeply for them too. That's why he writes in chapter 2, if any, uh, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Saying, look what you have in Christ, in other words. This comfort from his love. Look at what his love led him to do. And allow that to lead you to having the same love. Look uh, how high he was and how low he stepped in order to demonstrate his loving affection from you. He really knows you. This grace, this power, this affection began in the past, is continuing in the present, and will come to completion. It's not going to run out. And joy comes from this place, from these anchor points. But one of the things that struck me, just as we uh, come into a land, about this opening passage in Philippians, he knows this church. He knows how they tick. He perhaps knows that many of them are quite good at deflecting encouragement. This is the kind of thing that happens um, if someone says a big massive thank you. Was it? Oh no, it's, it wasn't me. Deflect it on. Oh, it wasn't really much. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a big deal. It's just a small thing. We can be very good at deflecting rather than receiving encouragement um, my, no, my contribution wasn't really much No, it, I've not really got much to add maybe he knows that the Philippian church is, is wired a little bit that way and if we read that verse you know, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion we think oh yeah so I can see God's work that's begun in others wow Lydia she's great I mean, the way that you know, the Lord just opened up her heart, but she responded at the very earliest opportunity. So it's just wonderful to see God's work in her. Wow, the Philippian jailer, he was so, he was so desperate. Uh, he was in such a tight, difficult spot. And he, re- he received the message, and his whole family is uh, now baptized and going on with God. Just doing great. Part of the church, wonderful. Yeah, we just see God's, God's work all over him and his family. Hallelujah. Uh, it's another way of just like deflecting it to other. It's, it, this is wonderful. It's encouraging, but it's not. It's not to me. And there can be a whole number of ways for Christians where joy gets squashed, and perhaps joy gets squashed because we just think no, it's, it's that's for someone else. If, if there's some heavy going challenge, oh yeah, that must be for me. If there's some rich encouragement, well, that must be for someone else. Note then. That in this section of Philippians we looked at this morning, verse 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, saints, people who have received God's grace, people who are set apart and are becoming holy, not just a few special individuals, and that's how we can think of the word now, saint, Saint Michael, Saint Thomas, Saint whoever. Um, the special Christian who's kind of just been highlighted for the special things that they've done. Yeah, we know there are, there are super Christians out there. No, that's not what the word means. Everyone who's received Jesus, all the saints in Christ Jesus, 
There we have it. See that phrase again, or similar anyway, in verse 4. In all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy. There's no dodging Paul's encouragement. Verse 7. He knows that they're going to try and deflect this encouragement. So he says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart. Uh, For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So Paul is blown away by the encouragement he's received from this church. But he's not just writing a letter back to the leaders. Thanks guys. Keep going. You're doing great. He's not just writing back to a few people in the church. Nor is he just writing to a few individuals who need their ideas bucking up. He's not just writing to a couple of women called Euodia and Syntyche who have been disagreeing. And Paul's writing to them to encourage them to agree together in the Lord. he's, He's writing to the whole church. He's not writing to kind of correct massive doctrinal problems. Maybe he is writing just to remind them, look, out of your deep concern for me and out of your deep love, don't allow that somehow to just get distorted into worry. I'm worrying about the future. I I don't know what the future holds. How are we going to cope if Paul goes, if he's taken away from us forever? Um, We don't know what's around the next corner. He's saying, well, don't worry. I'm with you. Rejoice. And yeah, we can rejoice in circumstance. Paul might have rejoiced in the fact that he'd received this generous gift. No, but it goes much deeper than that. He's utterly persuaded of the grace of God, the power of God, the affection of Christ. And he doesn't want anyone to dodge this encouragement. So let's, let's receive that encouragement ourselves. Let's be looking that whatever 2016 involves is going to be a a year of more joy joy that sometimes brought about by actually testimonies of what's happened i mean i guess some of the psalms are like that aren't they giving thanks because god has done this for me god has been at work in this way for us wonderful and i just want to share let's rejoice but it goes deeper it goes deeper to what the example that Paul gives us and he's encouraging the Philippians in I've learnt the secret he's saying I've learnt the secret of being, being content when I don't know what's around the next corner when I don't know whether I'm going to be acquitted and set free whether I'm going to stay in these chains when I'm going to be put to death he can write later on I think actually in God because of the it's probably more important more encouraging for me to stay in the body so I'm convinced I'm not going to I'm not going to glorify God by dying just yet. I'm going to glorify God in living. But it's still not in his control. And there's loads of life that isn't in our control. Let's not wait for all the T's in life to get crossed and all the I's to be dotted before we think yes, we can be a people of joy now. Actually what stood out for that Philippian jailer is goodness. Even in Philippi, Paul was in jail. And he and Silas were singing. This genuine outflow 
of joy. That grabs attention. That leads that guy to ask some questions. If you can be joyful and that's going on, if you're secure and so much of life is uncertain, I want to find out more about the God that you worship and follow. Let's, uh, let's stand together. We'll, uh, we'll worship in just a moment. And um, I will lead us. Let's just respond to God. Father God, I pray that for myself and for all of us together, this would be a year of learning the secret that Paul could write about to the Philippian church. Lord, I thank you for the massive encouragement that it is to be part of a church that treasures Jesus and trusts Jesus where there's just evidence of the grace of God in how people love, how people give, how people support one another, in believing together, in the power of God, in praying for things to to change. Lord, I pray, Lord, lead us on in steps of faith and love and knowledge and purity. I pray, Father, lead us on in, in joy in treasuring you even more. That means that we're not being unreal. Yeah, we can refer to chains every now and again. We can refer to the things that aren't great. But it's not what's preoccupying our thoughts. That our thoughts are preoccupied with something far greater, higher, deeper, longer. That we've got a God who loves us with tremendous affection and grace who's at work in our lives with tremendous power and who we can trust to complete the good work that he's begun amongst us in us personally but amongst us together in Jesus name Amen